Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to Mid Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. A bull market like the one we are in plays by a different set of rules. This is something that a lot of people don't seem to understand. So after a day where the Dow gained 58 points, the S&P advanced 0.16%. NASDAQ declined 0.17%. I need to explain how a bull market differs from a bear market or an ordinary market, which is what we really were in until recently. Why am I even thinking about this? Because last night I got a tremendous amount of flack, but also a lot of praise for coming out and admitting what I think is the obvious, that yes, this is a rip-snorting, roaring bull market. And it's driven by the fact that the whole global economy is doing much better. For some reason, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge this. Either they're trying to fight the tape, which means go against the stock market, or they just don't want to be caught on camera saying something positive in case the market goes down the next day and they end up looking like a moron when someone replays the clip on YouTube a million times. Personally, I am actually less worried about looking like an idiot and more concerned that you might be scared away from the stocks by the tepid conventional wisdom. That's why I think it's so important that you have to understand how a bull market like this one operates. Let's dive right into it. The first rule of this kind of bull market, stocks can go higher than you think. And the discipline you need to be in this changes. What do I mean by that? In a normal market, the disciplined thing to do is sell when you have a decent game. But now that the economy is healthier, synchronized global expansion, and the market's roaring, there's a new discipline. You need to learn how to hold on to terrific stocks of terrific companies because there's a good chance that the upside will be greater than you imagine. Let me give you a case in point, the stock of Adobe. As members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club know, we decided to ring the register on Adobe, that great software company, after it advanced 40 points, pretty much in a straight line, before the company said that its growth rate may dip a bit. Selling Adobe seemed like the disciplined thing to do. It seemed like the prudent thing to do. It didn't want to turn a gain into a loss. And in a typical market, that would have been the right call. But in a bull market, a real bull market, it was a mistake. Adobe stock proceeded to go up 30 more points when my charitable trust sold it as the company's growth wasn't slowing at all. And you know what? As we said last night on Off the Charts, it could go up another 30. And people will still love it. The whole equation's changed. In a bull market, you need to put more emphasis on not missing gains rather than simply trying to sidestep possible losses. In short, you have to be able to stay the course even when it flies in the face of your instincts or the instincts that were honed since 2009 because the potential upside is simply much greater than it was before. Second rule of a bull market. The analysts now matter. 
For the longest time, when an analyst would raise a price target or slap a buy on a stock, it was a yawner or even a head scratcher. Now it's something that really moves a stock. It's been 18 years since analysts were trusted enough to play this role. The rise of Elliott Spitzer is the sheriff of Wall Street, who revealed that analysts often work for the investment bankers to bring in business, so tainted these people that their pushes, their recommendations, meant little or nothing for nearly two decades. However, enough time has passed. We've forgotten those prosecutions and those transgressions. And big brokerage houses are now able to, to pound the table on recommendations. And it works. They're able to convince individuals and institutions to buy stocks. In a bear market or even a neutral market, these people don't really matter unless they're saying something negative. But in a bull market, their positive pronouncements are suddenly taken seriously, which is how upgrades can cause such big moves now. Third rule in a bull market, nothing is more powerful than momentum. At my old hedge fund, when I would go see my clients, I'd half-jokingly tell them, you know, you need to buy uh, $90 stocks. Clients say, well, why? Why $90 stocks? I said, well, because stocks that get to 90 go to 100. Clients would look at me like I was nuts. But then they'd watch and it would happen. Oh, by the same token, just so you know, in terms of the great research I was doing, the stocks that go to 100 go to 120. It's ridiculous. It's illogical. It's the opposite of how markets are supposed to behave. But you'd be amazed at how often this silly rule of thumb actually works in this kind of bull market. It's momentum talking, but momentum carries a lot of weight in this kind of bull market. Fourth bull market rule that we have to start respecting here. Money managers will anoint some stocks as winners. And like it or not, those anointed names are nearly unstoppable. Look, we're no longer in Kansas anymore. We're only FANG goes up with any regularity. As Carl Quintanilla told me this morning, I have to come up with an acronym for all the industrials that are blowing the bears away. I mean, I toyed with like Tube, Chubb, I mean, you know, Caterpillar, Honeywell, United Technologies, Boeing, Emerson. Dear, hey, why don't you help me go on Twitter at Jim Cramer and come up with an acronym for the great industrials? I think it might need a little work before I get the right letters. Fifth rule of this bull market. It tends to ignore negative news and rejoice on decent news. For example, I think the market will love that Jay Powell might be the next Fed chairman, as we are hearing this evening, old friend. And another time, we might be concerned about a change at the Fed. Ah, now we're excited about it. Hey, Congress still hasn't come up with any sort of tax reform package that has any hope of passing. And does uh, anyone even remember the president's $500 billion infrastructure plan? The truth is, it doesn't really matter. We are in Johnny Mercer land, people. We accentuate the positive. We eliminate the negative. And a kind of a bullish twist. We celebrate even Mr. In-Between. Six, bull markets are not killed by valuation. The big institutional money managers decide that a certain stock is worth owning, and when they get new money in, they buy more of it endlessly. They don't think, well, wait a second, maybe we're now paying too much for it. They say, hey, we love it. We've been, it's anointed. It's going higher. Many will grumble tomorrow about the rise of Facebook stock after it is going up endlessly into the quarter. And you know there's going to be insiders selling because they're allowed to sell after the window opens when they report. But you have to exercise discipline and not sell, even though the stock's up so much. All right, now let's unpack this exercise with some caveats. In all honesty, I don't really like a lot of this activity. I, I, I don't care for it. I don't. But it's not yet widespread. I think there's still tremendous resistance to this whole rap. And that's good because rallies are built on the backs of negativity. Once you start hearing other people preach about these bull market idiosyncrasies, though, well, we're going to have to pull in our horns. 
And look, just because we're in a bull market, we don't suspend our bedrock disciplines like diversification or like bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. Here's another case in point. You know, you know I've flogged NVIDIA to death. I mean, just to have a little fun, I've renamed my dog NVIDIA. My dog's been doing some good stuff on, uh, on uh, Instagram and on uh, Twitter. But today we told members of the ActionLearnersPlus.com club that we're taking the stock from a one to a two, meaning we wouldn't buy it up here. It caused a lot of ripples that we did this. Darn things just come up too far too fast. Red hot griddle, burning the eggs. I say let NVIDIA come down before you buy it anymore. Change in posture. Stocks had too big a move in too short a time. Finally, not all stocks are good stocks. So you have to be willing to use these incredible moves to take out the garbage, so to speak. I don't really care for the food stocks, for instance. I'm not all that enamored of some of the drug stocks. They don't work in a synchronized global expansion like we're having right now. Their stocks get lifted because a rising tide lifts all boats. But Karen Kramer, who used to run the trading desk, reminds me that some boats are garbage scales, like the good ship Mobro. Google it. And you just must, must, must jettison the potential disappointers and the out-of-sinkers when you get a chance to do so into strength. So here's the bottom line. I don't make the rules, okay? I don't. These aren't my rules. But I remember them, and I respect them, even if I don't necessarily want to play by them. I know it's not rigorous to buy a stock that's 90 because it's going to go to 100. However, this is what I, what I call learned behavior speaking. And one of the few, and I mean like few, things that's good about getting old is that I can remember the 1980s and the 1990s. And I know that we're not yet all that far along with this kind of action. In short, this phase of the bull market, to analogize to this great World Series we're having, is strictly middle innings. There's a lot of bull left to play. I want to go to Brian in Connecticut. Brian! Brian, I am here. Great show, Jim. You helped many people. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, thank thing. you, Brian. Thank less, you very less, much. Less than seven months ago, I simultaneously invested in the recreational vehicle companies, Winnebago and Thor. As of today, Winnebago is up 28%, Thor 22 In your esteemed opinion, should I take the money and run, or do you think there could be more juice there? No, no, no. Don't take the money and run. Do not take the money and run. I okay. just gave a big teaching on Saturday for thestreet.com, and I said that Winnebago is a must-buy. It's just really an inexpensive stock that's going higher. Just that's the way it is. I want to go to Linda in South Carolina, please, Linda. Yes. Uh, hello, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm good, thank you. I love your show. Thank I've been you, a Linda. viewer for years. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all you've done to educate us. That's the plan. Well, Good. We could use a lot more education. Okay. Me too. And thinner. We ate too much candy last night. What's up? I have two questions. One, I, I have GE stock, and with the downturn in the stock, wondering should I keep it or sell it. And two, I own CBS Class B stock, and with the deal announced with Entercom, uh, should I tender the shares or not? And what exactly is Entercom? Okay, Entercom's a great radio company, and I think the consolidation in the radio industry is going to allow this company to do well. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, GE, it's bad, but it's too low to sell. 
Um, and just to recap again about Facebook, which I mentioned, it's a great quarter, but the window opens, you get insider selling. Don't be perturbed if the stock actually comes down on those great numbers. Thank you, Johnny Mercer. A bull market plays by a different set of rules, and I don't make them, but I do know how they are played, and I respect them. The bull run, middle innings. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Allergan has faced some bumps so far this year. Bumps, I mean, like, holy cow, get the Botox out. But could it rally today after earnings start smoothing things over? I'm eyeing the fine lines of the quarter with the CEO behind the Botox behemoth. And from Fruit Loops to Frosted Flakes, Kellogg's known for its iconic brands. But how's the stock fair? Tonight, I'm pouring over the details of its latest quarter to find out if it can continue to snap, crackle, and pop. Or did it get soggy? And how did Tyson Foods go from Chicken Little to Big Bird in this market and be sustainable with none of that antibiotic? I'm checking in with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Has the stock of Allergan finally shaken off the blues? The big drug maker has seen its stock get pummeled for just for seems like it's ages. Shares tumbled from 250s in July down to 170s yesterday. Company recently did lose a major patent ruling on its second largest drug, Restasis, which had a very big gross margin. Allergan has a ton, though, of medical aesthetics products and a huge pipeline where the top six products could be worth $13 billion in peak sales. We've owned Allergan for my charitable trust for ages, but as members of the ActionWorksPlus.com club know, it's been frustrating of late, to say the least. Fast forward to this morning, and Allergan finally reported a terrific quarter, $0.09 earnings beat off a $4.06 basis, higher than expected sales, up 11.4% year over year. CEO comes on the call, tells us that his stock is undervalued. The fundamentals are stronger than we think, and the future's brighter than many investors believe possible. With some Botox uses just now scratching the pater, there are so many more uses for this drug. More important for once, Wall Street actually seemed to take take the Take the call seriously. And the stock surged over $7 or 4%. So has Allergan stock begun to turn here? Or should we be more cautious and not get our hopes up? Let's check in with Brent Saunders. He's the chairman CEO of Allergan to get a better sense of the company, the quarter, and where it's headed. Mr. Saunders, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Brent. Thanks for having me. I usually don't talk about the stock as much as the company, but I find that there is a gulf between what this stock is doing and what the company's doing that may be the widest I've seen of any major company. Can you explain it? I hope so, but I'm not sure I really can. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, Wall Street's a funny place sometimes. Look, the fundamentals of our business are incredibly strong. We have a base business, a fundamental business that's growing double digits with long, durable assets right. like Botox, like medical aesthetics, like some early CNS drugs, like some eye care products. Yeah, nerve, nerve right. System. So the issue was we had a few patent cliffs. Right. They're real. They're important. Um, they're significant. But we will manage through them. It's part of being a biopharmaceutical company to have patent cliffs. We know how to do it. We've done it in the past. We'll do it. We'll get through it in the future. And so I think we've reset some expectations. We've mm-hmm. been very transparent around the impact of this, these, these loss of exclusivities for these drugs that are coming up next right. year. 
and we will get through it. That's what you pay management for. Well, what you I thought was most important and maybe is causing people to, to recognize is you basically said, listen, 2019 without Restasis is going to be an up year from now. That's and right. that was something that every, you know, a lot of people worried that you were going to say 2019 would be a down year. Right, exactly. And that's because the base business is so strong, right? Seventy. What comprises 70% of our revenue today is growing double digits. We, are gonna, we have another 10% that's stable. Right. And the rest is going, the Restasis and a few other products are going to go off pad in sometime in 18, we think. Right. Once you get through that, that, that 70% that's growing double digits is now 85% or 90% of the company. And then the pipeline kicks in and all the new product cycle that comes with we it. We've got to talk about the pipeline because right. the, comp- the, the people who have been very negative on the stock, and there's a cohort, say that the pipeline is vir- vir- virtually valueless. I mean, we look at the sum of the parts. You know I did that yes. analysis. I'm coming between 240 and 290 using the pipeline. The pipeline is real. It, it's very real. We're spending a billion six on it, so I hope it produces something. The reality is I think we are getting no value. That's one of the disconnects right. with Wall Street. We have six programs that are in phase three, right? Some of them are big. The biggest one in the first quarter that we'll hear about is our oral CGRPs, which is for migraine, very complementary to Botox migraine. important that it's oral because that means it's not a shot. It's not a shot, right. and the other ones that are coming out are. Right. So this is differentiated, and we're the largest player in migraine today with Botox growing double digits. And this complements that. We will get that data in the first half of the year, and that's a big pipeline update. We will get the approval of our uterine fibrate drug, hopefully, next year, and then we'll get the data on our AMD drug at the end of the year. Do you think that the, uh, the gambit for one part of the patent challenge, the Mohawk tribe, made people feel that perhaps you were more desperate than you are? Yeah, and I, I think there was a lot of misunderstanding on why we did it. It wasn't desperation. It was tenacity, right? I believe that the biopharmaceutical industry is grounded in one thing, and that's intellectual property protection. That's why we invest billions of dollars coming up with cures and treatments, because we get a very short period that's protected by patents to sell those drugs. That's, that's the carrot for investing and taking the risk in R&D. Okay. The flip side of that is I have a social contract that says when we are successful, we'll price it responsibly, and we'll make them accessible to those people who can't afford them. And I think people got confused that says, because I believe in strong intellectual property, I don't believe in making medicines affordable and accessible. And, you and know, one has nothing to do with the other. True, but that was the, that was the narrative. <laughs> that, that was the narrative. Look, we are tenacious. We believe in protecting our shareholders. We believe in protecting our employees, and we believe in protecting our medicines, okay. which means our patients. Okay, now, a lot of people watch advertisements, and they see cool sculpt, and they don't understand this is not a gimmick. This is a, the numbers are extraordinary for CoolScope already. Yes, five, over 5 million treatments, 5 million. So a lot of people have done this. User satisfaction is off the charts. It works um, exactly as it's described in the, in the label. Um, user, user satisfaction among physicians and practitioners, sky high. So high growth, exceeding our expectations, doing incredibly well, and great technology. Okay, last question. Uh, I happen to have the privilege of seeing the, I, the iPhone 10 yesterday. Uh, the resolution, the portrait resolution, it, it's, it's extremely high def. It's not just high def. I have to believe, Brent, that when people get this phone, it's going to be a super cycle. Billions will be sold, whether it be in China, whether it be in India, whether it be in the United States, that this will actually be causal for Botox. It's causal for Estee Lauder. That's one of the reasons why the numbers were so great. Is that a legitimate thesis? I think, I think it's uh, certainly... a strong contributor. Look, the selfie generation, you've said this before. 
absolutely causing people to, to really take notice of their appearance and looks. That's a global phenomenon. We were up 60% in China, for example. I'm looking forward to the iPhone 10. I'm getting it next week. And then I may be going to get Botox right afterwards. Well, I think you have to. I looked at my, I said, no, I'm a lost cause. I, need, I just need spray paint. I need like a car, yeah. like PPG right. spray paint. All right, that's Brent Saunders. He's chairman, president, and CEO of Allergan. And yes, I think the stock turned today with that reversal from down five to plus eight. He knows the drugs. I know the stock. Stick with Kramer. Okay, so now they like the stock of Kellogg. Well, they got to like something, don't they? I'm talking about the huge gaggle of consumer products analysts who need to slap something on the recommended list, even a market that doesn't particularly care for the sector. So it might as well be Special K, down nearly 15% for the year with a new CEO and a sense that the darn stock has hit bottom, even if the business hasn't. I know everyone is sick of conference calls by now, but I have to tell you that this one heralding Kellogg's new CEO, Steve Cahillane, was a real doozy. Uh, it, it was almost out of body. Here you have a company celebrating the fact that its brands are declining at a slower pace than they used to be. Kellogg applauded Pringles for putting up positive numbers. I mean, the potato chip that looks and tastes like soil and green. The company spun a tale about how, how getting rid of direct store delivery, something that their snack competitor, Frito Light, was owned by PepsiCo, swears by, will somehow be good for the numbers. And it trumpeted the fact that cereal isn't doing as badly as it once was. Well, there's something to get fired up about. Yet, Wall Street is lapping it all up with almost universal praise and upgrades. Amazing, consider, consider that at one point an analyst asked Steve, the CEO, why he even took the job? Given the declining category and the pressure of the consumer product package good space, he said he loves the culture, great brands, iconic name. I said to myself, yeah, it's iconic if, if you're my age, but so is Sears. Remarkable. Look, I don't want to be too cynical because that costs you money. I bet Kale Lane does a good job in restoring Raisin Bran, using marketing that says it's good for you. Maybe he reignites the most fallen of brands, Special K. Perhaps he's the guy who makes cereal into more of an afterthought for Kellogg by making some bold acquisitions. However, the simple fact is that there was a time when Kellogg was a fabulous growth company where it didn't need zero-based budgeting or endless cost-cutting in order to be able to make the numbers. What it needed was a dedicated worldwide sales force and distribution team because demand was so strong across the globe. Now, though, they sell a product that seems like it's in a time warp. I mean, sure, my mother served us stuff like Tang and watered-down Concord grape juice because we didn't have that much money. But cereal is expensive, and most of them are not all that great for you. They have endlessly raised the price, but have they added any value? Look, Kellogg is a company that makes Eggos and Pringles. Uh, they also make this very special natural and organic product called Cheez-Its. Oh, just a second, maybe not. Um, the, I'm old enough to remember when Pringles... When Pringles and Eggos were invented, they were exciting. They were revolutionary when they came out because of the convenience factor. We don't care as much about convenience now. We care about health, as you will hear later in the show, when we talk to Tyson Foods. And while anyone can spin a health story, there's even a cynical moment on this Kellogg call where they talk about driving the health credentials of the category. Can we stipulate that natural and organic are two words that don't come to mind when we think of Kellogg's product line in the cereal aisle? But the analysts who cover this once great growth company have to find something to love. And they got some good natural organic stuff. I'm not knocking that. But it, it's not like many of these companies are in all that great shape. So they ask themselves, how about a 3% yielder where the future looks brighter than the past? Eh, how about Kellogg? And that's how a stock in this bedraggled consumer products group can spike after a long road down. 
I wrote, I believe there'll be less travel by buyers after the stock was up a couple of points from here and then the buyers move on. Let's go to Don in California, please. Don. Hey there, there, Mr. Kramer. This yes. is Don from California. Here's a big booyah to the Dodger dogs. Oh, well, you know, best of luck there. I got no dog in that hunt. What do you got? Hey, I want to find out what do you think about General Mills? Uh, it doesn't have the growth. It doesn't have the growth. If you want a growth stock in that business, you're going to have to go to Tyson Foods. Uh, you're not going to be able to do it with General Mills or by that way, Kellogg. By the way, these are nice companies and the Kellogg people are nice. That's not the point of the segment. Let's go to Alan in Illinois. Alan. Yes, uh, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, and a question I had is uh, we had a chief executive officer recently came to your uh, uh, show. Um, he had great earnings. Is a great international stock. And is uh, uh, Domino's Pizza. And are they being held by guilt by association with Papa John's? I think they are. I mean, what is the future? I think they are. I think there is guilt by association. Papa John's did not report a great quarter. Uh, Papa John's did talk about the NFL. That wasn't the only thing that brought him down. But, you know, I, 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 I question whether the NFL is really that important to sales. But I recognize they made that. But, yes, I think there's guilt by association. But, remember, the category is weaker. All of a sudden, the whole category of restaurants and takeout is weaker. And I, it's fickle is the way I would look at it. But I like Domino's. Let's go to Rico in California, Rico. there, Jim. Done your way. Yeah. You hear me right, Jim? What do you need? Yeah, I hear you, you hear perfect, right? man. Yeah, Am I hearing a name that good and I hear you great? Yeah, this is, G- this is Rico, Jim. How yeah, I doing? figured that. You figured that. Well, I figured this was Jim, so we're in the right spot. You bet. We're all together. What's up? So, so get this, Jim. I'm in a bit of a pickle. So come October 20th, I... I quit drinking. I put down drinks. I quit drinking them Budweiser's. And I got my 401k heavily invested, in fact, all of it, in Anheuser-Busch. And on October 20th, as soon as I quit drinking, the stock started falling. So I'm just wondering if I either need to quit drinking or start drinking again or sell my 401k. No, no. Uh, okay, that's a good, good, good point. Congratulations, I guess, on quit drinking. My, my, my wife, whose birthday it is, we're going to knock back a couple of Bud Lights. That's her favorite drink. Can you believe it, Bud Light? I mean, I would have thought it had been Cristal, but here's the deal. Okay, that's too much in concentrated in one stock, and you're not even in the right one. You want to be in Constellation Brands, and not because it took 10% of that company that makes, they got the uh, marijuana drink there, which I imagine would be pretty spectacular if you're in the right country. But what would I know about that? Because I'm like 90. But, you know, you got to not be in Bud, and you got to cut back that because that's not being diversified. You want to be more diversified. All right. After a long road down, it looks like Kellogg, because of the all-natural organic Pringles, kidding, is back in Wall Street's good graces. I'm not sure how long this will last. These would definitely survive nuclear war. Let me see. Survive nuclear. Doesn't mention thermonuclear war. Maybe we'll add that to the label after the show, along with Spam, by the way. Much more mad money hit, including my take on Tyson. Oh, it could be like a tambourine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm crushing Is it moving higher or more than just a wing and a prayer? That's Tyson, by the way, because, like, it's chicken. You get that? Ah! I'm talking with the CEO. Then could today's drop in Cypress Semi be a buying opportunity? After more than 30% move higher so far this year, I'm going to sit down with the CEO and find out what's ahead. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition, the lightning round. So stick with Kramer.
In an environment where few investors want anything to do with the food stocks, Tyson Food has managed to do something remarkable. Its stock has caught fire, hitting a brand new 52-week high today. This gigantic protein company with a special emphasis on chicken has seen its stock rally more than 18% for 2017, thanks to some clever acquisitions like this $3.2 billion purchase of Advanced Pierre. That's a leading national producer of lunch and dinner sandwiches and snacks, complementary to Tyson's existing business, and also management's efforts to streamline the business. And look, if anyone doubted that Tyson was a different kind of food company, that doubt should have been put to rest last September, when the company raised its full-year earnings guidance dramatically, also gave a very robust forecast for next year, courtesy of Advanced Pierre and some other things that were, I thought, terrific. No other food producer can claim this kind of growth. The stock hasn't looked back. I'm optimistic as we get closer to the earnings report in a week and a half that it'll be terrific, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking big picture. How has this food company managed to perform so well at a moment when food is very much out of style on the Wall Street fashion show? Let's take a closer look with Tom Hayes. He's the president and CEO of Tyson Foods, who has masterminded this company's recent turnaround. Mr. Hayes, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Hey, how you doing, Jim? All right. I'm, I'm honored to have you because you made an acquisition, the big one, the Hilser, which a lot of people felt was an overpay. It turned out to be an amazing deal. You know, it really has. Let me start by saying, not just great to be here, but a great time to be at Tyson Foods. Yes, it is. Yes, it <laughs> Transforming is. Transforming the business yep. is a lot of fun. It's a lot of pain, too, but it's a lot of fun. And we're having a really good time. Growth is the key. Right. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And, and I'll tell you, the acquisition of Hillshire brands, great. But we're just getting started. Okay. So now, one of the things you're just getting started about is sustainability. There's a wrap. And the rap is that you can't be sustainable and be big. Now, you, uh, the numbers are staggering. 35 million chickens to head per week, 125,000 head cattle, 450,000 head per week. You're talking about huge numbers, and yet you're committed to no antibiotics and sustainability. You know, here's the issue. And if we're going to feed 9.5 billion people around the world by 2050, we have to be part of the solution. Big food has to get in the ballgame. These aren't going to be solved. These problems are not going to be solved by backyard farms. No. Uh, so we're taking it on. We have to be a part of the game, not only be a part of it, we want to lead it. So we're raising the expectations all over. People say you can't. If you're going to do that ma- mass amount, you have to be committed to antibiotics and all sorts of stuff that we don't want in our bodies. Yeah, you know, they're just wrong. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely wrong as it relates to chicken. We are the largest producer of chicken in the U.S., and we have done it. We've gone completely across the system, no antibiotics ever. It can be done. And it's a lot of work, but it can be done. Okay. Now, in the supermarket, I see things like this. They're very hard to, uh, well, also your big chicken stuff. Yeah. You can't, commo- it's not commodity anymore, and it also can't be private labeled. So your gross margins are better than a lot of other companies. Yeah. You know, uh, we're focused on growth. So whether or not it's branded or private label, right. APF, Advanced Pure, which you called out, right. was exceptional at customer brands. Right. We want to grow with customers and consumers. A lot of companies talk about just the consumer. Right. We're focused on both, and that what makes, that's what makes us special. If we're going to have a brand that sells, whether it's a customer brand or a consumer brand that is ours, that we own, we want to be a part of the growth algorithm, and that's what we're focused on. All right, well, a lot of companies don't have that opportunity, and your company, previous to your turnaround, was a play on corn. I always look, if corn was high, I'd say buy, sell Tyson. If corn was low, I'd say buy Tyson. It's not, it's not correlative anymore, is it? Well, you know, corn is a massive, massive input for us, and we focus a lot on it, of course. But what we're doing through this, as you can see, the innovation, is separating ourselves from our peers in that we want to have products that consumers demand. So not so much focused on the volatility of corn, focused on great products that consumers want. Okay, now, will Advanced Pierre be important in a strategy where Amazon has bought Whole Foods? 
You know, the Amazon buying Whole Foods, let me back up and say the whole space is being disrupted. Right. And absolutely. But are you ready for it? We are ready for it. And here's what the, the key thing is. Going back to the customer connection, mm -hmm. of course, you know, if Amazon's going to be successful, that's fantastic. But there's a lot of other customers in the business that are focused on doing the right thing by the consumer. And, you know, going back to making sure the customer is winning mm -hmm. by having the right consumer proposition, that's the key. Right. Now, the customer turns out, I don't know if you knew it or the customer knew it. It's like Steve Jobs knew what we would want. The customer is committed to protein. Yes. Did you see it coming? Is that why one of the reasons why you bought Hillster? Because now we know that protein is the one thing that we can put in our bodies that's good for us. Our strategic intent is to be the world's best, most sustainable protein supplier, far none. And it's because of that fact. More than 50% of all consumers in the U.S. are actively trying to add protein to their diets. 50%. So it is not a fad. It is something that is part of the health regimen for so many Americans and people around the world. So absolutely, that is our square foot. Okay, so people around the world, what are you guys doing around the world? You know, we are mainly a domestic company. So I we, know, we, but we, you have, yeah. you're talking about some international sales yep. that could be significant. You're 4.1, I know, a giant company. But to me, Japan, Mexico, China, Hong Kong, these matter because their food <laughs> chains may not be as clean as ours. Right. So we do a lot of exporting. So 10% right. of our sales are exported. Those countries you mentioned are export. Well, we do have. Yeah, uh, it could, you know, if we do the right things. Our focus is really making the domestic work. Right. And we do have growth aspirations, and they do include around the world. So uh, more to come there. Not, nothing announced today, but that's. No, well, the reason I mentioned is because our food chain is the, the envy of the world, even though yeah. I know the millennials are saying, Jim, you're shilling for this. No, but when you, if you guys were to tell me, listen, you have to be loaded with antibiotics, I wouldn't feel that same way. But if I were in these other countries, I would say, with America, Tyson, it's got a seal of approval that our, our systems don't have. Yeah, you know, the, whether you're looking at international demand, domestic demand, people want cleaner foods. They just want it, they want transparency. They want to know where the food was produced, and that is something that's not going to go back. So we are very focused on making transparency work for us. And also in exports, there is a lot of demand. Right. Chinese consumers want American products, certainly American beef. You've heard the story on right. that. I mean, I don't believe that's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. And for us, that's a great tailwind. You also have been innovating. I mean, I know that uh, you have a big CapEx budget, but Jimmy Dean has produced. You said that you've got Jimmy Dean scrambles. Now, yeah. and that is a breakout product. Here you go. That's it right there. So this is a Sunday morning breakfast with a Tuesday morning effort, <laughs> right? So what you want to do is you Millennials want to- Millennials will go for this? I mean, Absolutely. Why? I mean, it's organic, It's all protein. Yeah. It's protein. it's protein. Yeah, there's two real eggs in a cup. You put them in the microwave. You put the meat in and, and uh, cheese. Well, that's a lazy. That's one well, lazy millennial. But it tastes delicious. You got to taste it. You got to taste it. <laughs> well, and then I... tell me. Then tell me whether okay. or not. Okay. Yeah, and, it's a fantastic uh, and, and, product. So these are helping you take more aisle space, obviously, right? Absolutely. And yeah. that is also an important point in your strategy. Halfway from New York to Philadelphia, aisle space. This year, 46 miles of aisle space. Are you serious? We, I'm totally serious. 46 miles. In just the frozen area. Really? Yeah, because of Jimmy Dean. And the Tyson brands, the renovation that we're doing, and the new products we're introducing, all across all retailers. So, so what happened? Under Sarah Lee, Hilscher didn't grow, right? And, yeah. and you just, they didn't put the money toward it? I mean, because we didn't know. When they split it off, I thought it was a dead category. Okay. It just wasn't, what, wasn't backed? Focus. Focus. Okay. So as it really, Sarah Lee was a conglomerate at one point, which you well right. know, right? And so we uh, split the food business from the coffee right. business that's in Europe. 
and the food business became very focused. And that we started the growth trajectory, and we had a good thing going. It's sort of a four billion dollar startup. We started the innovation engine again, and uh, you know it's been a continuation of that and an acceleration with the acquisition. Well, I, I'm urging people to go to their deck because you can see it's Tyson, then Hershey, then Mars, and everyone else is losing, which is why I do not like the category, but I do like Tyson. That's Tom Hayes, president and CEO of Tyson Foods. Mid money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light room! Because we're going to wrap up with And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round! Because we're going to start with Jordan in Florida. Jordan! Booyah, Jim! Jordan about ISRG today. ISRG? I mean, like, what can I say? One of my absolute favorite stocks. I like the business model, I like the management. My only regret? Where are they on the show? Why don't they come on? I love the Da Vinci. Let's go to Craig in Illinois, please, Craig. Uh, Chicago Booyah to you, Jim. Go right back at you. Uh, what are your thoughts on CME Group? CME Group? I tell you, I wish the Bears played like CME Group because that stock is a buy, 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 buy. Let's go to uh, Marianne in Florida. Marianne. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Love your show. Love Thank you. you. Question. Um, I bought American Express at $66. The stock is up between 95 and 96 and I'm wondering if this is a time to take some profit. No, so- no. It's not an expensive stock. I like the group. I like MasterCard. I like Visa. I like American Express. I like PayPal. I do not want you to take profits. American Express, new CEO, doing very well. Let's own it. Uh, I need to go to Christine in Texas. Christine. Hi, I bought United Rentals at about 145-ish, which was kind of high, thinking there would be a need for equipment rentals uh, after the various catastrophes. However, it went down, and as of late, had a bit of a bump. Do you think it has potential to surpass? The I think you're fine. Mike Deal was doing a great job. You did buy two points from its 52-week high, but re- but remember, we don't care where a st- in Kramerica, we do not care where a stock has come from. We care where it's going to. And I think you're fine. You are. Uh, I am so not done. I'm going to go to Mark and Merrill. Mark. Mr. Kramer, how are you? I am good. It's my wife's birthday, so I'm all fired up. What's going on? My wa- I love my wife, and she loves shoes. Wow. So I buy DSW. DSW, now. Nah, I saw a downgrade today. I, yeah, I don't really care for that stock. I, I don't really like I don't, I really like retail. I mean, I, I don't even like the chart there. Let's go to Barry in California. Barry. Hey, Jim, booyah! Booyah! That's what the kids said at Trick or Treat last night. Boo-yah! What's up? Hey, I own Annalie, and it's down 6% in the last week, 10% in the last four months. Do I Yeah, buy but that's why, or? I mean, the yield is 10%. That's what I don't like about Annalie. It's just like, you know, stock does nothing. You pick up the yield, stock goes down a little. It's not my cup of tea. And that, ladies the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. On a day when many semiconductor stocks actually sold off, I think it's worth circling back to some of the winners in the group that have given us big gains recently. Take Cypress Semi. You know, we like this one. CY, maker of programmable systems on chip, low-power semiconductors, many different applications, along with chips for, uh, for uh, microcontrollers, and by the way, also for memory chips. 
And this is also uh, a lot of the stuff goes into autos and into the home and to static random access memory, which we're going to talk about. Here's a stock that's given us a terrific 17% since, gain since we spoke to the CEO, and he laid out his vision for the future. It was in early August. Latest leg higher came last week when Cypress delivered an excellent top and bottom line beat, rapidly improving margins and robust guidance for the next quarter. Stocks surge in response, but there's still plenty of doubters. Just yesterday, Barclays downgraded Cypress Semi from overweight to equal weight, with their analysts arguing that most of the company's key catalysts have already played out to this point. Could Barclays be right, or are they simply being too skeptical at a time of booming worldwide economic growth? Let's dig deeper with Hassan El Khoury. He's the president and CEO of Cypress Semi. Find out more about how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. El Khoury, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Okay, Hassan, your company in many ways has refashioned itself to being the ultimate Internet of Things. I see connected home. I see uh, uh, Amazon's devices. I see autos where you're just packed into autos. These are major uptrends, and I think that they've got to last for a very long time, and they're at their infancy. Would you agree? Absolutely agree, yes. So tell me what it means, say, to be a big supplier to Amazon. So if you look at it, I mean, uh, we're the number one in wireless connectivity. Uh, When a customer like Amazon or any customer wants reliable, high technology uh, connectivity products. They have to go to the leader, that's Cypress today. That business has been doing great for us, driven by the connectivity or Internet of Things in general, from homes to cars to just widgets all around. That business grew 80% year on year, 80% year on year. That's tremendous growth and that has established our leadership even more for years to come. Now, yesterday, Barclays downgraded your stock, saying that the margin story has played out and to some degree the catalysts have played out. Uh, I thought that was uh, incorrect, judging from both your conference call and your last quarter. But maybe I'm being too bullish. I'm with you. Uh, I obviously uh, don't agree with it. I have full confidence in our execution. Uh, You know, we've proven it when we've outlined that we will exit this year at uh, 43 percent gross margin. Look at us uh, today. We've pulled that uh, 43% into Q3, and uh, we've guided uh, up for uh, Q4. So I have full confidence. It's all execution, execution, execution. Now, uh, I want to talk about products with Cypress inside. I know a lot of people say, listen, we're in automotive. I think if you described where you are in automotive, our audience would feel much better about saying, oh, that's Cypress, because it's not like it's branded like Intel inside. Uh, well, we are inside uh, pretty much all cars. Uh, any, any car you find on the lot, whatever the logo is on it, uh, Cypress is in it. And we're in it exactly where the drivers uh, or you as, as a user uh, touch and feel. Everything in the cabin from your dashboard, instrument cluster, touch, uh, any interaction you have with the car, that's Cypress inside. Uh, so, yeah, we're everywhere. We don't get the logo uh, on every car, but I can tell you we're everywhere that matters in those vehicles. Wi-Fi and that Bluetooth, business, just same, to remind, right? uh, remind. Wi-Fi What's that? Bluetooth, same deal. You're in you're Absolutely. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Absolutely. So as these cars now more and more connected, you know, you got more and more services, you got more and more cloud connectivity, whether to stream media or uh, to stream music, uh, that's going through a Cypress product. That's absolutely correct. Now, there was a moment in the conference call where I'm looking for companies that have to do with memory because memory is in short supply. The Samsung call basically said that memory is going to be strong for a long time. People just think of Micron as, as memory. 
They don't think of Cyprus. Why is that? Well, you know, we're playing in a very different uh, memory market. We're playing in the high reliability differentiated memories. And by the way, that market is very strong for us. Uh, let me just give you automotive. Everybody hears about and talks about uh, autonomous driving. Cyprus memory enables automotive uh, uh, autonomous driving. We have 65% share in that market. Uh, that's where we play. We play where it matters. We play where the strength and the growth in the market is. Uh, you know, I've stated uh, before, we're not playing in the commodity, uh, low-density markets, but we have a big focus on auto. We have a focus on IoT. We have a focus on industrial, and you'll see us play and taking share there and growing with that market. All right, last question. Are you uh, done with any sort of restructuring, done with shedding divisions that you don't want and done with acquisitions? Uh, you know, there's no such thing as being done. I think, uh, I think the market is always evolving. We as a company are always evolving, and the market uh, keeps changing. So saying that we're, we're done uh, would not be correct. Uh, we're just ready for when we do need a change. We'll be ready to make the right change uh, for shareholders. Uh, anything that provides the value, you're going to see us uh, do that. So we're not in no way uh, standing still while the world is active. We're going to be participating and we're going to be aggressive when the time comes. All right, terrific. That's why I've been recommending your stock and thinks it's so, and I think it's so cheap. That's Hassan El Khoury. He's the president and CEO of Cypress Semi. See why this is an inexpensive stock and the downgrade I felt was very ill-informed. Stay with Kramer. Uh, like I said, things got a little too hot in NVIDIA, and they got a little too hot in Facebook. Remember, window opens, they do insider selling. Pick it up after if you haven't bought it yet. Stock can go down on that insider selling. The quarter was fine, but the stock was too hot. Like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.